0: A few weeks ago we held the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit. Now we host these virtual events every quarter and they're not your average stuffy boring webinar, we bring together experts and frontline professionals discussing real-world challenges in healthcare innovation. The Winter Summit just passed was our ninth THT Virtual Summit and I love that these sessions have become this solid platform to bring together our THT Plus members to engage about technology and healthcare regardless of their location, experience and expertise. If you're a THT Plus member you can watch all of the sessions from the Winter Summit just passed and any other talking health tech summit within our video library on the website but right now as a special treat for anyone else who's not a tht plus member we're going to share another session from the winter summit on this podcast right now so keep an eye on our website because our next virtual summit will be happening in november which isn't far away tht plus members can attend for free or you can buy a ticket to the event as well go to talkinghealthtech.com to learn more right now here's another session taken from the winter summit just passed collaboration starts with the conversation team health tech let's make it happen This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Being a GP in Australia is a busy gig. You see a lot of patients during the day, then you're expected to find time outside of the clinic to maintain your CPD and education. A great way for GPs to access education is through podcasts. And Australia's leading education podcast for busy GPs is called The Good GP. It's had well over a million downloads, regularly ranked in the top 10 medical podcasts in Australia, and a proud member of the Talking Health Tech Podcast Network. The show's hosted by three GPs, Chris, Tim, and Sean, and The Good GP regularly features episodes on all the important topics that GPs need to know without all the fluff. And The Good GP Podcast now has the support of MedTech Global as a key sponsor for the show. MedTech help GPs be GPs, by working with clinicians in Australia and New Zealand to develop patient management systems and healthcare technology. MedTech's on a mission to digitally transform general practice so GPs can focus on quality patient care. If you're a busy GP or know someone who is, check it out. The Good GP podcast on your favourite podcast player. Patient expectations in healthcare are multifaceted, covering aspects like advocacy, convenience and personalisation. How can we navigate the complex landscape of patient expectations to deliver both convenience and quality in personalized healthcare? This is session two of the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit about what patients want. I'll be moderating this panel featuring Bernie Gibbons, Head of Strategy and Partnerships for Informatics, and Richard Skimmon, Chief Operating Officer at Instant Scripts. Before this session, we ran a poll and we asked, what do patients actually want most from healthcare? 43% 43% of respondents said personalised care, 22% said better accessibility, 20% said affordable services, and 15% said clearer information. Let's get to the panel and find out more. With me today, I have Richard Skimmen and Bernie Gibbons.
1: Hey team, how are you going? Hi, Pete. Good, thanks for having oh. us. Excellent. I'm actually sitting in the airport, so I'm going to keep going on and off. It wouldn't be a Bernie
0: at a summit unless you were either. I think last time you were in the, the hallway of Parliament the Parliament House. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So out there doing the doing. You know what we're going to do, though? We're going to give each an opportunity to introduce yourself in the context of this discussion that we have around what patients want. What if we grab Bernie firstly, just in case you need to jump to something else? Bernie, like you do a hundred things, but the, the patients are usually at the centre of it all. Explain a bit more.
1: Yeah, I guess that thanks, Pete, and... Yeah, it's to influence the availability of data, of the information about the patient for the patient. I actually, I was working with some Aboriginal health workers up in the Tiwis and another is part of my Digital Health CRC board role. And that is one of those situations where we just really need to be able to get information to the patients at the right time. And so how do you do that? So that's what my thing is, Pete. I think um, you know that, but hopefully there's lots of new people who are coming up into the sector that can take the baton because we're sort of running really fast with it. But, yeah, just get that data to the patient.
0: Yeah. Well, keen to unpack that a little bit more in this conversation today. But, Richard, great to have you here at the summit. Introduce yourself and tell us what you do.
2: Yeah, great. Well, if Bernie's thing is around information, my thing is around accessibility. Uh, I'm uh, running Instant Scripts, which is uh, aiming to make healthcare more accessible to Australians. We've had about 1 million Australians uh, use our service and we're, uh, we're now the largest telehealth provider uh, in Australia, operating every day of the year. And um, we're focused on getting the right mix of cost, quality and accessibility for, uh, for patients.
0: Thank you. And I encourage those, I know there's a strong patient focus in the conversations at the summit today. So I encourage those that are attending to put questions to shape the conversation in the chat today. But Richard, we often come to these conversations and panel sessions at these types of events, which this one's kind of positioned as this is what patients want. And vendors also do the same. And we kind of talked about that in the first session too, about this is what patients want. Sometimes people forget to ask the patient like what they actually want and have and everyone has a strong opinion on that. From your side, tell me more about what you've learned from about patient needs and how and, and unpack that a little bit for me.
2: Yeah, I mean the real risk here, Pete, is that we make generalizations around what patients want. And the reality is to understand what patients want, you need to look at the different segments of patients out there in the community. And I've been looking a lot at the the data from the Australian Patients Association. Uh, Bernie and I are both uh, friends of the Australian Patients Association. And some of their research is fascinating in terms of the different needs of patient groups. I'll start with young men to begin with. Young men want ease of access. They find Medicare doesn't work for them. It doesn't offer enough range of services for their needs. Uh, They struggle with um, doctors not communicating or diagnosing them in the way that they um, expect and they're the least likely people to have a GP and then the most likely just to drop out of the healthcare system because it's all too too hard so for young men um, there is an issue around accessibility when you look at young women it's different they're very focused on bulk billing and they're very dissatisfied with the cost of health care And they struggle with those costs, and they're the most likely to use Google as an alternative to their regular GP. So then if we take it up a level, look at senior citizens, people over 65, they love the healthcare system, they love bulk billing, they they probably grew up with it. You know, as teenagers, they love the quality, and they love their local GP. 97% of them have a regular GP. They don't use Google for their health needs. And they want more funding and shorter wait times. So they want to see quality as quickly as possible. And then if we have a look at the difference between low-income and high-income people, well, low-income people are very focused on bulk billing, but high-income people are very focused on quality and accessibility. They actually don't, don't rate bulk billing as a, a high priority. So they're very focused on quality and accessibility, but cost isn't a big focus for them. And then you have this metro-regional divide. In metro areas, it's about finding bulk billing. They they struggle to find places that will bulk bill. And in, in regional areas, they struggle to find a GP. So it's just a question of accessibility. And then we can take it another step further and look at First Nations people, particularly in remote communities. And you've got the complexity around chronic conditions, mental health, remote access, that is another another puzzle to solve in meeting patients' needs. So, when we think about patients' needs, everyone's on a different dimension of preference in cost or quality or accessibility. And if you know what the right segment is that you're trying to serve, then you know what the right needs are that you need to satisfy them in the Australian healthcare system.
0: The Talking Health Tech podcast has been running since twenty eighteen with over 400 episodes and no signs of slowing down. It's all possible thanks to the support of our THT Plus members. These are startup and scale-up members who get it. They know that collaboration starts with a conversation and they know that to make meaningful change in healthcare, we need to break down those silos one conversation at a time. We love to feature our THT Plus startup and scale-up company members on this podcast, so you'll hear from them regularly if you listen to this show, and you'll also see they have a strong presence on our SEO-optimized website. THT Plus members can share unlimited content on our website too, like news events and jobs, which we then redistribute across our wider audience through our socials and our newsletter. If you're interested in being part of the conversation, become a THT plus member today so we can get the word out about the most important topics in healthcare together. Go to talkinghealthtech.com/slash THT plus to learn more. It's a nice way to to package it all up there, Richard. And I think about all those different communities, quite different, not competing priorities, just different priorities. Mm. Bernie from your side, you understand this problem well as well is there like a common denominator there i imagine from a technology point of view where a lot of our conversations kind of center there are different patients with different priorities but are there some things to help us kind of maybe chunk it up and understand it a bit more
1: well i think a great summary actually so yeah i want to delve a little bit more into those numbers around men versus women in particular because that is somewhere that men won't go to the doctor they leave it until the last minute. And so I'll give a bit of a plug here for our continuity of Care collaboration, which has the campaign hashtag Don't Wait, Mate, came out of exactly that, that men won't go to the doctors until, yeah, they really get that bad jet pain and, and other, other disease symptoms. And so that's where I think, Pete. I've been a great supporter of telehealth since was, I think George Marjolis came to me once with an Intel telehealth machine when I was at Telstra Enterprise and Government, and it had a phone on it. Richard it actually it had to pick up a receiver. But, you know, we were like, yeah, let's put these in all people's homes so that they can talk to the doctor and get telehealth. And, and that was for, basically for aged care. But um, I think that, uh, you know, a couple of really good um, comments there. I don't have chat open, but I can see them they come across the screen there. And uh, someone said, let's empower a patient. And that's what I think the thing is. I've just been at a, a conference yesterday near in Brisbane, uh, a connect a joint effort with HL7 Ciro, their department, and the agency, and I brought in uh, Steve Hamilton and a a, a lovely woman, Zainab Bayana, and she has two children, not one but two children that had very were very sick and a few weeks ago we did not she didn't know about interoperability Pete How about that? How about all those people out there who don't understand that word that we use that's stopping them from being able to get their information from one level, from ED up to the floor that they've just been transferred to on the ICU where they're going to be spending a lot of time. So the government was in the room. They're hearing all of these stories, but what we need to do is take that a step further and, and I think, like, take it to the street and ask people, where do you think your information is currently? Like you're saying, Richard, people be trust or don't trust Medicare, well, that's because they still don't really, they don't understand what Medicare is. Like, what does Medicare, doesn't Medicare pay for all of that? Isn't that where my health record is stored, all of my information, when they swipe it through, that that all of my information comes up in front of me? That's what you'll hear from most people. So we do need to educate, we need to have a, a new force out there that is going out talking to people who aren't in our sector and, and uh, advising them, go to the doctor, sit in front of your doctor, whether it's telehealth or or a, a doctor you know, that you see all the time, where is my information? Where are you keeping it? Can someone else access it if I fall down? If my doctor puts me on heparin today, and I fall down, I'm unconscious in a few days, and I'm in hospital, they can't see. The reason you're bleeding so much is because, you know, not heparin, but on warfarin rather, that, um, sorry guys, been a lot of years since I've missed. but the thing about that is, is the not just the peculiarity, but the importance of that information, and so restricting access to the information that you need about yourself and empowering you, yeah, is well, it's dangerous. It's very dangerous, and that's where. So let's get everything off paper. Let's get it in chips. I think that is what a patient wants. A patient wants to know that or trust. That their information is available when they go to see the doctor. I just have a little tiny story that I want to share with you. That just as of last night, in fact, up here in Brisbane, I was having really bad pains in my chest, down my arm. So I was at, I did both of my events. You'll be happy to know. I stood up and <clears throat> did my jobs, but then, yeah, Monica Trinius said okay, to, to Jeff, I think we should take her to the hospital. She does not look well. So I ended up anyhow in a very good hospital here at St Andrews. They use informatics. So, yeah, but, say, but at the end of it all, great treatment, fantastic, and everything's fine, but no discharge summary. Are you going to send my information to my health record? I'll let you know that we do that. Well, they have informatics, so they can do that. But I had to call this morning because it occurred to me, they didn't ask for my primary care physician details. So how are you going? So that's happening to me. I don't know. Imagine, I, I know what the, that, that means to my health, to my own health record, but a lot of people don't. So how do we educate them? And I think Paul Gladwell actually asked, what are those questions that we can ask so that we can actually ascertain Yeah, how to collect this very quick, this cyber and clay, the information. Yeah, how do we do that? Because that's the way that we're going to do it to make it. Also, the structure of the information is how we can make it available to machine learning as well.
0: I mean, a a few, yeah, like super valid points there. And I I love that that's inspired a lot more conversation in the chat as well. As Jade points out that there's, it's a funny thing. The concept of a patient and we're all like, we're all, And I think within the system of healthcare technology, we say, well, we're all patients so we can speak with confidence about what patients want. And there's there's aspects that are very true of that. And Bernie just shared her own experience there. At the same time, we leave a lot of people behind in the process of making assumptions about what patients want too. And I think there's a lot of validity and Alan's point here too is that if there's on one hand, there's a lot of education that still need to be there in terms of making information and understanding from a patient side on how the system works. But if we need to try so hard about explaining the system to a patient that maybe there's something wrong with the system and not the patient. So there's some interesting points there. And that ties in really nicely with the following session that we've got here at the summit too so we and we, I'm going to say we deliberately put them side by side. We've got strong consumer and health representative patient consumer reps on the next panel, and, and I know they're going to dive into these points in a lot more detail. So there's my hook for people to stick around more. For those, Josh pointed out that warfarin still very much a thing, by the way, Bernie. So that's <laughs> that's there too. But you know, Richard, all of that in context there around. It, it's one thing for us to sit here on a virtual panel and say, "Well, this is what we what patients want because we ask them." But there's kind of a lot more to it, and a lot more kind of complexity. And if I compare it, and maybe if I stack this one and think about, in as a consumer, it, we often talk in healthcare about the consumerization of healthcare. And because, like, I can get my, my my bank balance on my phone in an app, and I can apply for a new thing, and all that information. But why can't I get my health information seamlessly on there? Is it too complex? And you know we've been through covid and the pandemic and that's the most digitized that we're going to do in a you know in a short space of time and we're forced to do it and we're now we're in this kind of bit afterwards is it a realistic expectation that our you know we're going to access health in the same way we do in other industries and and be more consumerized in that respect
2: yeah well i think if we take this word consumerization and unpack it i think what it really means is uh removing friction i think any service whether it be uh, travel or food delivery or financial services that has gone through a period of um, consumerization has removed more hurdles, barriers, reduced friction for the customer. And the outcome of that has been a, redu- a reduction in cost, an increase in quality, and more accessibility, simplicity, and convenience. So I think the concept of consumerization is a positive. And n- not all of the healthcare system is ready for consumerization. There is parts of healthcare that are very low risk, that are perfect candidates for consumerization. Maybe it's a medical certificate, maybe it's an SDI test, maybe it's a renewal of a script. These areas are right for consumerization, But then there are others that are more complex, um, more serious, more risky, that is going to take a lot more time and a lot more experience before consumerization will reach them. I think the other thing about consumerization that's important is having a direct feedback loop from the customer. So the customer is constantly giving signals on how the provider can correct. This is harder when there's someone in between the patient and the service provider. If it's Medicare, it's a private health insurer, if there's someone else paying for the service, then you're not getting that clear feedback loop around uh, what patients are are selecting or down-selecting if if they're essentially getting it for free. So it's not to say that there's not a role for Medicare, but if we have Medicare in the system, then we often miss the feedback loops from patients telling us around what they they want. And that can influence the way that Medicare and bulk billing is designed to make sure it's servicing patients that need it most and servicing them um, in the right way.
0: Absolutely. And, Bernie, does that resonate with you as well?
1: Absolutely, yes. I mean, we, look, Richard and I have lots of conversations about, about all of this and you know, how it's really good, actually, to think about that part, about who pays for their health care. And, like, we, we even think about this when we're giving away a solution, like for a short period of time. Is it going to mean... It's much if they're not paying for it because it doesn't. I think that we've all learned that. However, I do think that people also don't know what they don't know and they don't know about what the benefit of having access to an app on their phone. I mean, please download please the My Health app. It's a fantastic app and it's going to start to have e-prescribing and the like on it and and it's going to become more and more robust. So we do have access to that type of information. You should have an instant script that. We do. <laughs> okay. So we can talk about that. Yeah. That I just want to sort of just step and step up a little bit here about with the with patients and having access, I keep saying that what I I really wanted, I would even ask lots of big four, you know, when during COVID and when we were doing the work on telehealth, why can someone do a case study or it's probably service australia or medicare say if the patient is going to the doctor with a cold and i just say just a cold but heavily infectious and they get on the train they go and sit in the practice in the waiting room touch things and then go and see the doctor maybe even make the doctor sick but then, what about the benefit? I want to know what the numbers are, what is the cost to community of, of not being able to just make accessibility to, mm. to these services? Well, I know that there is an availability through Health Direct, but you can't get prescriptions. Mm.
2: Yeah, and yeah. I, I, mean, I, just, I just want to build on that because I think that's right. Like, there's, if we can improve the productivity in the healthcare sector then we can unlock more time from health practitioners to focus on the people who need it most and that is the cost that is really the cost of a system which doesn't allocate its time effectively amongst different patients groups to prioritize those who need it most and find the most efficient way of care for those who have the most simple needs and i think Data and interoperability and sharing of information, that's the glue that binds the healthcare system together so that those efficiencies can take place. You know, the alternative of just having one provider who just knows everything about that particular patient and it's stored in their head and they manage that to their own needs, the cost of that is that it doesn't scale. And the solution to that is sharing of information so that different practitioners can all play a role in helping to patients find the most efficient form of healthcare.
0: One thing I think about on what Bernie and, and Richard have just reflected on there is again, there's a role for for technology to play here in terms of presenting information which can play a part in, in creating some of these solutions. There's, you know, the unfortunate fact a lot of the times is that people don't create technology out of the goodness of their own heart. And maybe there is, there's a lot of people in healthcare technology space are doing it for the, the stronger drive for them is about the reasons for working in healthcare and making a difference and all of that. But in the end, someone's got to pay for it. And there's usually a, I was going to be funny and say, there's a big evil board or someone sitting in an ivory tower somewhere saying money needs to be made. And and we can all point at that and say, well, in the end, if you if you want to create a solution, you've got to follow the money. And I always, I, I this, Tension between: on one hand, we got vendors talking about how the way we're going to deliver better patient outcomes is be more interoperable and create solutions that can do that. But from a from a patient side, they don't they don't really see the plumbing and they don't do, do all of that, so it's not really that important. And there's commercial challenges at risk because you, you can't 10x your profits over five years by you know just solely sitting in a board meeting talking about how we're better better patient outcomes because you've got to talk about the profitability of your scalable solution. So it's just like... Sometimes I feel like we're still quite far away from these two things and, and inching it. How do we inch those little bit? And we're not going to get it overnight and all that kind of stuff, but how do we, th- we've talked a lot about the education from patient side, creating some of this education from within the system too is going to be really important as well. Bernie, you're kind of weaving your way and, and fighting the good fight in all kinds of parts. And you see some of these conversations too. Are you finding this patient-centric kind of focus is becoming a little bit more front and center? Are, are, are we making progress here? Absolutely, yeah,
1: yeah, and I think so. I'm going to let you in on a couple of little conversations that have been happening. I mean, if you look at the strengthening Medicare task force and the outcome of that task force, which led to the budget and funding of something called multidisciplinary team approach, and and so there's there's a good deal of funding behind that. And the other part is what is the interoperability, is the $9.3 million that went to Siro to drive interoperability with their fire accelerator that we're all part of. What is going to happen now is the the jurisdiction, the hospitals, both public and private, are going to be mandated that There will be a year, I'm not going to say when that year is, but um, in the future there will be an MRAM of a minimum of four that needs to be achieved for them to continue to receive their funding. So their funding will be based on whether they have gone digital. So we know that's exactly what we do. You need to digitise the paper. You can't interoperate with paper. And now even the minister is, is using those words, I'm learning now how to get the government, the politicians to say what you want them to say. <laughs> so it's just, this is very real. And, and the government, you know, let's hope they stay in beyond the three years so that we can see all this come to fruition. But they're very serious about you can't keep throwing money at interoperability when you've got so much paper in the hospital. And, and so anything that is digital, we need to get behind.
0: And Richard, what about yourself from your experience?
2: Well, interoperability is incredibly important for instance scripts. I and mean, we don't want to replace anyone's regular GP. Everyone should have a, a regular GP. So we do two things. Firstly, we ask our patients when they're having a consultation with us to select their regular uh, GP from one of the, we, we currently use referral net for access to a list of uh, most of the GPs in this country, I think we've got like 70 to 80% of them listed there. Uh, The patient can select their local GP and then post-consultation, we will send that GP the results of the, the consultation, if there's been a script issued, for example. And we're also integrating, Bernie, you'll be very happy, to My Health Record, which is incredibly important to make sure that there is a single source of truth for a lot of patients around what their medical history is, if, if they choose to upload that information. So we went on an island at Instoscript, we part of the healthcare ecosystem and interoperability I think is, is critical for us and every other player in the primary healthcare ecosystem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a um, important role for my health record to play, and we heard in the previous session as well. Adam, a GP in the in his practice, was using that too, and and it's and there's the, the growth of that. And it's important that we're getting more information in there that's not just PDFs that is actually accessible information that can yeah. make an impact. So I think there's some progress in that respect, and and hearing the conversations in the the corridors of the industry, that's all front and center too. As I think about then, we've seen uh, some strong engagement in the chat here of people resonating with this message. And I love that we've got the different perspectives that come at it too within the healthcare space as well. So there might be those that have very much, you know, some lived experience of a lot of challenges of facing the healthcare system, but who's going to hear their story from a single side. But then, you know, we've got others that are creating technology solutions that have this opportunity to do that. And then those on this panel as well that have sometimes nearly direct access to, to get in the ear of health ministers and the system generally. And I feel like if we can have that consistent message or at least demonstrate progress and share stories, I think a lot of that too. Because sometimes when we have these conversations, it's almost like we all agree on something needs to happen, but we don't kind of ha- have something that that happens. And I know everyone's working on, it on a day-to-day. So I guess as we start to round out this conversation, I might give bo- both Bernie and Richard an opportunity to then put the question back out to... The attendees today and everyone if there's a, a call to action or if there's something we should be thinking about or, or the next steps from here what's what can we do with this information and united kind of front to actually make a make an impact
1: I anyone who is out there at the moment that is developing software that is not open standards at a minimum and yeah just can't interoperate then stop. <laughs> Because in yeah, there is going to be legislation. There, it's in the making, and and there, the government is very serious about this. Way is yeah, in the same way as the twenty first century Cures Act, and but coming at it from, it's not an attack on us in the sector as software developers. It's going to apply to hospitals as well. Stop buying software that can't interoperate with your other systems. So it's going to take a while, obviously, but it is going to happen. The other point that I just wanted to make was around how do we I guess maybe get more information to the to the consumer and I'm interested in what Richard has on this as well, is that do we form because I think it's Jane who put in the chat there, you know, like are we ever going to do this around what the doctors and what do patients want? Yes, we did that over the last day with uh, Steve and Z. But the last thing that I actually said, it's like you were in the room last night, Jane. The last thing that I said was I think that we'll have success when we see the more of the consumers sitting up here talking to us and telling us what they want because, you know, stop developing software that just isn't what the, the patients want.
0: Absolutely. G- getting that, the voice from the different stakeholders is going to be really important. Richard, what about
2: from, from your side? Yeah, well, you know, I want to, I want to come back to, to something that, that you said before, which is that we all think of ourselves as patients here and that we know what patients want. But really, we're, we're in the healthcare system and we have a pretty good idea of how it works. Um, and so we don't really know for sure what it's like to be a patient, particularly if you're a doctor and you know how to navigate the healthcare care system. And it's hard to understand really what patients want just through um, a survey because our surveys often, uh, they're multiple choice answers and they sort of limit the answers that, that can be given by a patient to what we think are the different options, right? But what I found through, I was speaking to one of actually our doctors, Dr. Bill Mash, and he's, he was a patient before he became a doctor. He had a very serious health condition. And he gave me an insight, actually a couple of insights into this. And he said, look, it doesn't matter what sector or um, segment of the community you're from or what your situation is. There's one thing that we all have in common as patients. And he said... We all want to feel cared for. And I thought that was uh, really cut through with me in terms of, okay, we have all these different things around cost, quality and accessibility, but ultimately we want to feel cared for. And then he said, he said, he followed up with a second insight, which was, and the most common reason why a patient doesn't feel cared for is if they have to wait a week, a month, a year, So if we can make healthcare more accessible to more Australians, we have a great healthcare system, if we can open it up and make it more accessible to more Australians, we're going to find people feel um, more cared for. And that ultimately is going to get to the heart of creating more utility and more satisfaction in this group. So how do we do that? How do we make patients feel more cared for? Well, I think... I'll come back to Bernie's uh, information sharing. This is really the glue. Imagine, you know, we won't have to repeat ourselves every time we see a new practitioner. Imagine there is someone who's able to see our medical history in the first go and not have to order the same tests over and over again. Um, Imagine there is some consistency in the way that we're served. Well, this can have huge productivity benefits and open up efficiencies in the healthcare system to make patients feel
1: more
0: what a great way to kind of round out the conversation i was going to bring up an additional point that's very valid too um it's shared by in different ways by by fang here in the chat around the the we need to make the data more interoperable but then you make it more interoperable, and then potentially you raise all these issues around cybersecurity. And as Sula kind of pointed out, too, the questions around getting information that the one is one of the biggest concerns that a lot of patients have is the more information that's up there in the technology, the less secure it is. And what are they doing? This trust point is really important, which ties so nicely with that the point that you just gave there, Richard, around care as well. So,
1: and are what you, Sula just said also about you should get rid of your phone if you're worried about security. I mean, the other part is you only need, sorry, you only need four numbers to get into your bank account as well. But we need 30 or whatever it is to get into yeah. our accounts at, at our work.
2: And I'm, I'm going to just add to that. There are some demographics who are very concerned about security and where their information goes, and there's other demographics that just don't care, mm. right? And so we've got lots and if lots. If you're of sick,
1: you don't care. Yeah. You don't care. Give um,
2: my information
1: to everyone.
2: that the way a lot of young people use their phones and the services they use and the way they spread their information, they're not particularly concerned about um, security. So we have uh, lots of different stakeholders with different points of view on on security. Ultimately, we need to make a secure um, service. But there are different perceptions around around this, this topic in the community.
0: I'm excited about not just the outcomes and what we've fleshed out in this conversation, but what's going to come from additional conversations today and then beyond. So I encourage participants that have been so active in the chat or even just listening or watching along too we'll be sharing this conversation on the talking health tech podcast in a few weeks as well too so if you're listening then make sure you jump on and watch the video and see some of the insights that people have shared up on the chat because we can build from here and and hopefully continue to make a meaningful impact so richard bernie i appreciate you making the time for this discussion today and let's let's keep the progress going thanks pete thanks very much safe flight bernie (laughs) Hey, before you go, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and you enjoyed this show, write a nice review and give us five stars in your favorite podcast player. At the time of this recording, we've been stuck on 65 reviews on Apple. I'm not sure what that's about, but if this show is part of your regular routine and you've listened this far, it'd mean the world to me if you could take two minutes and write a nice review, give us five stars. It does more than just boost my ego. It also helps us climb the charts and reach more people. Thanks so much. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit TalkingHealthTech.com.